Produced by Podcast Architects. You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Hey, welcome back to another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, and I'm excited to have a conversation today with Rachel Oswald. Rachel is a Navy veteran. Uh, She was an aviation. Uh, She hails from uh, Iowa, is it, I believe you said? Yes, uh, Iowa. And uh, man, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you and have you share your passion, your mission, a little bit how we how our paths cross. So, uh, Rachel, thanks for being here today and thanks for your service. Hey, thank you so much for having me, David. I've been so excited and looking forward to this since we were first introduced and met and uh, excited to get into the conversation today. You know, I I, um, <clears throat> I went and listened to uh, the podcast, your podcast, which uh, if you look at the show notes, everybody, you'll, you'll see a link to listen to Rachel's podcast. Um, and she interviewed Jim Rich uh, a few months ago. And I and I, I was so impressed uh, by you and your podcast, your message. And I and, and I just want to be able to uh, expand your reach through mine as well. And, you know, hopefully as a result of both of ours, more people will invite you on. Yeah, yeah. Jim was a phenomenal guest. I, I truly, I learned so much from him. He's such a wealth of knowledge. He's such a great person. And uh, it, it was it was a really great time just getting to know him and learning more about him and, and more about what the Enlisted Leadership Foundation does too, because I don't think that there's there's enough awareness about that. And so it's cool to be able to collaborate with people like you and the people that work alongside you to really just get the word out there about the resources that are available out there. Well, I, I sincerely appreciate that. Uh, before we dive in, just to, to kind of lighten the mood, uh, what's the worst piece of leadership advice someone ever gave you? Could be in the military or out of the military. Ooh, you know, I think in the military, someone once told me that it's a dog eat dog world and that, you know, how you look on paper, I actually heard this several times, believe it or not, in the military, how you look on paper is what really matters the most. And so uh, what you do as a person doesn't matter, just got to look good on paper because that's how you rank up. And, you know, that's some people's definition of a leader. So that's probably the worst. You know, it's funny. I could. So I served, uh, I joined a couple years before you did. And I was stationed on board a battleship back in the 80s. And I had uh, uh, an E6 tell me I was an E4 at the time. Say that you really just got to make sure the three months before evals, you shine your boondockers, you iron your dungarees, you don't make a mistake, because that's all they're going to remember. So, you know, I I think, and I would even go, you know, having, now fast forward, having sat selection boards. Um, When I was on active duty, I did four or five of them. You know, and there's some truth to that. And and I will say for uh, anybody out there listening, regardless if you're a branch of the military, if if you are military, um, we see through that on selection boards. It's not hard to pick out a vanilla eval or, you know, when people say, you know, raised awareness by 75%. Okay, 75% of what? Does that mean that there was, you know, four people out there and three of them? You know, I don't know. So there, 
I'd rather see some, you know, that you, yeah, you had two or five people re-enlist. Okay, give give me some, you know, good numbers like that. But but that's good. So um, so you joined the military from Iowa. Why did you uh, Why did you join the Navy? So, you know, my story actually starts back in 2012. I initially joined the Navy in 2012. Uh, It was supposed to go as an HT. And and I joined at the time because my, the the guy that I was in a relationship with was a very toxic relationship. I kind of needed a way out to, to get things figured out. And so I, I joined in 2012, but I actually ended up dropping out of the delayed entry program in 2012 because my living situation, everything, it just wasn't going to work out. And so the recruiter that I had talked to at that time told me, if you drop out of the delayed entry program, you can never join the Navy again. I said, okay, not a big deal. Yeah. He said, never. Okay. Obviously we know there's waivers for everything, but you know, they're not going to tell me that because they're trying to convince me to stay. Uh, So I ended up dropping anyway, but in 2014, that exact same recruiter came back to me and said, Hey, so we're letting people, <laughs> right. <laughs> we're letting people in the Navy, but it's like a one-time thing. And like, you have this much time to make a decision. And, you know, that should have been my, like my red flag for this is how the military is right. Quick decisions. But, but I was like, you know what? I'd actually just gotten out of the, that really bad relationship. And uh, I was like, why not? You know, it's, this is something different. Um, I was in a little bit better of a position because the first time that I had joined, uh, I still owed some debt to the university that I was attending and uh, I would have had to join as an E1 and an HT. They really didn't give me a lot of options. The second time around that I joined, because I had that debt paid down, I was allowed to join as an E2 and I had more options. And so I actually decided to join as an air rescue swimmer. But since that's spec war, I had to do the PSTs. And so I had about you know a year long time frame where I was doing these PSTs to what's a, what's a PST for uh, 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 PST it's like a physical it? standard test or something test. I don't remember okay. the exact acronym but it's, it's okay. it, 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 there's so many acronyms out there you there is <laughs> but it consists of you know push-ups pull-ups dead hang pull-ups um, sit-ups a swim and a run and so it's a pretty physically intense test and um, and it was really really cool preparing for that because I it really learned a lot about myself and I grew as a person a lot just in that process of the delayed entry program. You know, I went from being able to not do a single pull up to six dead hang pull ups. I went from a 15, 30 mile and a half to an 11, 30 mile and a half. I mean, I, I really exponentially grew as a person and it really set me up well for boot camp too. Um, and doing that, I, I didn't actually end up going into the military in spec war. I didn't get picked up for a contract because the way that works is you know, you pass the test and then they send your name in with a pool of people. And then the Navy chooses, do we want to select you for this program? Um, And because I had such a hard time passing my run, I passed it right before my cutoff date to leave for boot camp as an avionics technician. And I didn't get selected, but I was the only female in the entire state of Iowa that was going for a spec war program. And so it was very empowering. That's very cool. I mean, all these guys come in and they want to be SEALs, right? And our instructor was a former SEAL, really cool guy, uh, really loved him. He was awesome. And uh, yeah, I I just, I grew a lot just in that time period. But um, I say ultimately at the end of the day, I joined um, to to do something different with my life, to really change the trajectory of my life. Um, And uh, yeah, I 
even though I went through stuff, it was probably one of the best decisions that I ever made. So, so, so you went in 2014 and then you, when'd you get out? Well, so 2015 is when I left for boot camp because I enlisted in the delayed entry program in 2014. And I had about that year that I was trying to pass the PST. So 2015 is when I officially left for boot camp, officially joined the Navy. And then 2021, September 2021 is when I separated. All right. So uh, did it change your life? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so you have, you created the podcast, your story doesn't end here. What story? Why that title? What's well, so I, the reason why I started my podcast is because I had lost a number of friends to suicide in the time that I was in the Navy. And, um, you know, I, I just remember there was one day that I came across the words, your story doesn't end here on the internet. And they really, really stuck out to me. And, um, when my second coworker friend had passed from suicide, I actually got a tattoo on my forearm that said, your story doesn't end here. So, um, so I have the tattoo on my arm. It has the words, your story doesn't end here. It also has like a scroll. It has a timepiece. And it was really just like a symbolic thing uh, of a tribute to everyone that I had lost from suicide. And so, you know, when I decided to start a podcast, because I was really between like YouTube podcast, what do I want to do to really get the message out there? Um, and, and I decided to go with um, the podcast because YouTube's a lot of work and, you know, video is a whole other layer. Um, but I also like the anonymity that a podcast provided for my guests because not all my guests are comfortable sharing their story. Um, but, you know, everything combined, I chose the title, Your Story Doesn't End Here, because I think that when it comes to people in their mental health and suicide and these these dark places that people get in, um, when they're serving either in or outside of the military, it, there is so much more to someone's story. And in, if someone cuts their life short, they're ending that story where it's at. They're choosing the end of that story. And I get it. People are in so much pain to be at that point where they look, they decide that, you know, my last resort is to take my own life. But they're the message that I really wanted to send to my listeners that are struggling is, hey, like your story doesn't end here. There's so much more to your story. There's so many more lives to impact. There's so many more experiences out there. There's there's people that care about you. I mean, it's, it's really just like that all encompassing phrase that lets people know like, hey, there is more. There's another chapter. There's 10 more chapters. There's so much more to your life. Um, and, and it's kind of symbolic of why I put the tattoo on my right forearm, because I wanted it to be one of those things where if I shake someone's hand and they see this tattoo on my arm, it lets them know that I'm I'm a safe space. I'm someone that you can talk to. Um, it, I might not understand every person's story, but but you can talk to me. You know, I can I can be that ear. And sometimes that's all people need. Yeah, that's great. Um so when it comes to, so you mentioned mental health, and we talked previously about mental health in the military. Um, you know, <clears throat> mental health has always been, uh, it's always been a thing, you know, for, I don't know how else to say it. It's always been, but, it, but, but it's been a thing that has not been understood. 
Uh, I think it's getting more understood, but it, but there's still, it's like you said earlier about, you know, you want to help more people learn about the English Leadership Foundation, even though we've been around going on, you know, nine years. Um, because there's, there's always new people coming in and coming up, right? So with mental health, there's always, you, it's never a once and done. You never can get the word out. Okay, everybody's figured it out. Let's move on to the next thing. So it's, it's that repetitiveness, right? Um, and, you know, and admittedly, I, uh, for many years, um, whether it's pride or arrogance, or maybe both, uh, not being a person who necessarily suffered from mental health, I never understood. I, I always felt there had to be a cause and effect. There has to, things have to be black and white. That if you're feeling depressed, okay, then what is it that's making you feel depressed? So stop doing that and you won't be depressed. I mean, but it's clearly not that simple. But I would tell you, and I probably shouldn't, you probably tell me, there's a lot of people out there that feel that way. Um, so how, how did you go about um, advocating for, for, for mental health change uh, in active duty and even since you've come out of the military? Beyond the po- obviously podcast, yeah, yeah. So my, my podcast is a huge part of what I do. Um, I'm always connecting with people um, to to learn resources, to learn people's stories, uh, and to figure out different ways to be able to help. Because I understand that my story is just one snippet of the picture. Um, so you know, I'll, I'll start with back in 2019. I actually created a petition to the McPawn, who was Russell Smith at the time. And, um, and I started this petition well before I started the podcast because I was in a place of immense pain mentally. And, and I realized that the mental health system was failing sailors. Um, and, and this was my experience at my base. But in starting that petition, I spoke with tons of people. And um, when I was creating awareness for this petition, I had stories flooding into my inbox from officers enlisted, um, you know, people who are anonymous, just telling me these painful stories of what they'd gone through. And I I think that's where it really hit me how bad it was because yeah, I mean, I, I had problems, you know, with the wait times that a lot of people have, right. You know, the, the waiting three, three weeks, three months, you know, that that's kind of the norm in the military to go see a therapist. Right. Um, and I had my own set of issues, but when I started hearing these stories from people uh, of the ways people were attempting to take their lives, experiences people had gone through, gaslighting, uh, bad leadership, I was like, holy crap, like this is this is really bad. And so I created this petition to the McPawn, and, and, and on top of that petition, I created a Word document, and in that Word document, I outlined... These are different ways, and this is from research compiled, talking to different people. These are ways that we can change mental health now. These are things we can implement in a year, five years, 10 years. I mean, these are these are things. And then I included one or two stories from other people that had shared their stories with me and gave me permission to share that. And, and my hope with that was, hey, maybe this will be enough. Maybe hearing it directly from someone who's gone through it will be enough just spark that change. And, and unfortunately, I didn't see a lot of change um, that happened. I know down in San Diego, there was like a walk-in clinic that started and, and I was really happy to hear that. But it wasn't the change that I really, really wanted to see. Um, so, you know, the, one of the 
one of the biggest reasons I started my podcast was that, but that's what I started beforehand. Now what I do to advocate on top of, you know, just building connections and meeting people is I'm, I'm located in the Whidbey Island area. I'm starting to do more community events in the area. One of them, um, there is a film that's coming out November of this year. It's called Stranger at Home. And it's advocating for legislative change uh, to establish a mental health core. And so I'm working alongside them. So in, in the research that you've done uh, prior to the petition and, and beyond and talking with all the people, um, you know, is there any common reason why uh, uh, that sticks out for be it for suicide, but, you know, attempts or just mental health in general? Or is there just man, it's just such a, a wide variety of things? I'm just curious if there's just, you know, maybe obviously there will be a wide variety, but is there one or two that you see to see common across the spectrum? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that you asked this because I actually sat down with um, a city council member in my local area last week, and he actually also happens to be a funeral home director. And I I was asking him about, you know, the suicides and if there's commonalities and, and the reasons why. And he said that most of the time, the reason why people attempt suicide or they take their own life a lot of times has to do with a cheating spouse, um, cheating girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever have you. Um, so that seems to be a huge commonality. And, and interesting enough, I was reading another study. Uh, the, there's a there's a website called the Military Suicide Research Consortium that also linked uh, suicide attempts to these relationship issues going on. And so it seems like. I think that it is very multifaceted. I don't think that we can just say like, oh, if people's spouses stop cheating on them or whatever, or divorces didn't happen, that the suicide rate wouldn't be what it is. Because I think at the end of the day, it's like, what's the tipping point that makes someone feel like like this is their only option? Um, it does seem that from like a statistics standpoint, that the the um, troops or soldiers, sailors, you know, that have divorce issues or relationship issues, it seems that they are more at risk for suicide. And and I truly believe that that's because the military is a stressful enough job, right? So when you go home and you don't have a safe space at all and everything's overwhelming in life, it it can be that tipping point. Um, And so, you know, when we're talking about like, what's the, what's that, biggest determining factor, it seems like that that has a whole lot to do with it when it comes to suicides. Um, obviously not the end all be all, but but a very big contributor. So how do you recommend somebody, uh, someone at a command and a leadership position, create a safe space? Oh, uh, you know, it, it, I think it, to give you the simple answer to that, to just be human, um, I, I think what that- What does that mean? The, The military has had this tradition for so long of hardness. And I say hardness, meaning like, I'm the leader, I'm the person in charge, I give you an order, you do what I say, say, and that's it. That's the end all be all, right? Um, We lost that humanistic touch. and, And I don't know if the military really ever had that humanistic touch, but I've met people in the military who have it and I've met a lot more who don't have it. And I will say that for me, you know, I, I made it up to E5 by the time I got out, but there was very few people that were 
in higher positions that I was comfortable going to and saying like, hey, you know, I'm having a really rough day today. So if I seem off today, that's why. Um, or, you know, I, I just need like, I need time, just give me an hour. Or so I'm just going to go like, breathe for a few minutes. And then, you know, whatever, like anytime or, you know, just whatever, you know, name, name a situation, name a scenario. Um, and I didn't feel comfortable having these conversations. But I'll tell you the reason why I didn't feel comfortable having these conversations is because of the types of responses that I was met with. A lot of the times, you know, I and and I think also another side to that is hearing the side conversations that people have, um, even outside of a mental health crisis or outside of you know maybe not even a crisis but a bad day. Um, you know, hearing people talk smack about mental health, hearing people make a joke about it. Suicide is a massive joke in the military. In my experience, people joke about it maybe maybe as a way to cope i don't know but when you hear people constantly joking about something and then knowing that you're also dealing with something at the same time it can be very hard to approach someone in a serious manner and be like hey i'm really struggling so now i like to sum it up by saying the culture of the military is not what what we're seeing as a culture on the civilian sector what the civilian sector is moving towards i should say um, and, and it's interesting because when I joined the military in 2015, one of the first things I was told is that the military was trying to be more like corporate America. And so you can't adopt certain things that corporate America is doing and try to be more inclusive and try to, you know, give people a safer environment to work in, but then say, oh, well, we're not going to, we're not going to try to look at these things in corporate America. But what I see in corporate America is that there are a lot of businesses and organizations that are offering mental health support to their staff and their employees. And I think that's an amazing thing. And I, and I wish the military would be open to looking at this too. Um, obviously it would probably look a little different because the military and civilian sector are still two completely different sectors. But uh, one of the reasons why I really focus on changing the culture of mental health across the DOD organizations is because I truly think that to change the culture would be a massive disruptor to change mental health for the better. Um, implementing programs is one thing, right? Like you got to go through all the government red tape uh, to implement a program or to hire a psychologist or a psychiatrist. But what can we do to make people better leaders, you know, better contributors, um, people that just listen? You know, I, I use the example all the time of, you know, when someone asks you, how are you today? And someone says, Hey, I, I'm, I'm not good today. Like, can we talk? Most people aren't ready for that response. Most people just want to hear good, right? They want to hear good and they want to move on. But the number of chiefs that I had, um, you know, commanding officers, whatever have you, that they ask you, oh, how are you doing today? And yeah, and most people aren't going to say, hey, I'm, I'm actually not good today. They're just going to say good and they're going to move on and they're going to bottle it and carry on to whatever is heavy until sometimes it's too heavy and they can't handle it anymore. You know, uh, well, you, there's a lot there we can unpack. Uh, you know, uh, having sat as a command master chief um, and sat in, and, and even before then as a senior chief and a chief, uh, listen to these conversations or uh, listen to the opinions, right? Behind closed doors, oh, yeah, you know, that, that, that sailor. And it's not 100% of the time, and it's not everybody. But you're right that there's a stigma, there's an opinion, there's an impression. And you and I, I hear that enough times that if I even 
myself, I'd be I, I okay, mental note. I, I don't want to bring anything up to these folks. And over time, I end up taking up, well, you know, people who complain, they're just faking it. They're just making it, trying to get out of deployment or whatever. And um, and I would, you know, that can create a stuck point. And that could actually prevent somebody from seeking mental help for themselves in the future. Because like, wait a minute, I can't be experiencing something because I've been trained that that's a fake. That's not a real thing, right? Um, and then when you talk, so one of my favorite books by John Maxwell is uh, Five Levels of Leadership. And, you know, and I always, and I'll comment to people, and, and, and listen, this isn't meant to be derogatory at all towards the military. This is just, I think, a fact. But the first level is the positional level of leadership, the very first, right? You know, people follow you because they have to. And so it's that rank structure. And we are great in the military about the positional level of leadership. And just one level up is that permission level. People follow you because they want to. And then beyond that is production. People follow you because of what you've done for the organization. You know, and, and you know, just to, to point back for a second to the English Leadership Foundation, we, our goal is just to get you to that, that second level. You know, get out of the position and get to the permission and build relationships. And those relationships, they all start with speak with communication. So when you say, hey, how are you doing today? And when they say, oh, I'm good. Are you? Are you good? Are you really good? Because if you're not, I got a few minutes. It just Even if you just take that, and they, they may not answer. They may say, no, no, I'm good. But it's that observation on how you do it over time that, that builds that trust. And you know, I, I I had a sailor once come to my office, E5 on a ship. He was upset about his eval. He had a different uh, opinion of himself than his chain of command had. Um, and I shared with him, I said, I think that that you probably have a more accurate opinion of who you are through your eval than what you have on yourself. You may not want to hear that, but I really think you need to take a take a step back and, and just look and just see if maybe maybe this isn't 100% correct, but and he came back, he left kind of a little bit upset. Um, but he came back a week later. He says, you know, Master Chief, I, I've been thinking about it. And, you know, you're right. There, there are some things that I think I need to do better. And so I appreciate that. Fast forward about two months. I'm on the flight deck walking around. And here comes this second class with this other sailor in tow. And he said, go ahead and tell him. So this sailor told me whatever it was. And I'm like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. We'll work on that. And he says, see, I told you you could trust him. So it's it, it, people watch and pay attention, right? Um, and, it, and it just starts with communications, verbal and nonverbal communication. Um, yeah, it's amazing how how much of an impact that can make. So, um, have you have you heard or had some success? Um, you know, listen for what you're doing. If you just want to focus on suicide, if you prevented one, it's success. You know, so there is no number to measure success. I think beyond one. Um, but is there any, you know, because we're getting close to the end here, is there any success stories from your podcast that anybody's shared with you? So from my podcast specifically, I mean, I get I get messages all the time from people, and a lot of them are more along the lines of like, hey, thank you for this episode. I really related to that person. Um, I've even made connections with people between guests on my podcast and other people that have reached out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and said, hey, 
it, I really, really resonated with this person's story. Could you connect me with him or her? I, I have questions. I want to learn more. And, and that always gives me so much satisfaction and, and it really keeps me going. Cause it's like, wow, there's, there's people that whose lives are really being impacted by this. Um, and, and it's so beautiful because every guest that I have on, I, I know how much vulnerability it takes to share your story on a public platform. And I tell people all the time, like, I don't care if your story's five minutes. I don't care if it's five hours. Your story matters. Because I, I have some people sometimes that are like, oh, well, my story's not that cool. And I'm like, okay, but it's not about the publicity. It's not about like, oh, who has the like the story that's going to get me the most listens or, you know one person could listen to it. It impacted one life that, that makes a difference in it to me that that's what matters the most. Yeah. So what, um, what piece of advice would you give someone listening now uh, who may be struggling with mental health, be it suicide or, or just, you know, maybe depressed or anxious? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I would say find what works for you. And if you can't, if it's too heavy and, and, you can't find something that works for you, reach out to someone that you trust. And that person doesn't have to be in the military. That person could be a friend, a family member back home. And you don't have to tell them anything that's going on in your life if you don't want to. I think sometimes we have this idea that that when we're struggling with mental health, we have to spill out everything that's going on, right? But you can just share as much or as little as you want with someone. But I think just sometimes talking to someone and knowing that someone's there for you, uh, it, it makes a world of a difference. And I'm going to add something to this, too. On the flip side, if someone comes to you and they want to talk to you, just listen. You know, that could be someone's life or death situation. So um, that's probably the number one piece of, of advice that I would give. That's fantastic. That's great. Um, so. Uh, tell us where, where can we learn more? Where can we find your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast, your story doesn't end here. It's on all major podcasting platforms. iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, Google podcasts. Uh, my website should be up here in the next couple of weeks. It's www.ysdeh.com. That's the acronym for your story doesn't end here. Uh, and then also getting the YouTube channel set up soon, also under your story doesn't end here. But I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and, and I'll give you all those links uh, for anyone that wants to follow and check everything out. Well, Rachel, I, I really appreciate uh, what you've done um, and, and the impact that you're making. Uh, sometimes the impact is one person at a time and there's a big military, but, uh, you know, but, but also multiplies. And, and I, I think it's, it's very commendable, so I appreciate it. And Thank uh, you. I'm going to give you the uh, the final word before we sign off. Any any final message you want to get? Yeah, I, I just want to tell everyone that if you're listening, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what position of life you're in, you you truly do matter. And and life gets heavy sometimes. Life's always going to be a roller coaster. Uh, there's there's never going to be a perfect life where we're just happy all day every single day. But um, know that you have support, you have people that are fighting for you, whether you know it or not, there are so many people out there that are fighting for you to have a better life in the military, outside of the military, and uh, just keep going. Well, thank you, Rachel. Uh, thank everyone for tuning in to another edition of Lead On Lessons for Military Leaders. 
You've been listening to a conversation with Petty Officer Rachel Oswald, former Petty Officer, Navy veteran, uh, and doing her part to affect change in, in the lives of military and veterans with regards to mental health. You can tune in every couple of weeks, every, every other Friday, another podcast is dropped. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Send your feedback as well. You can send an email simply to admin at elf365.org. I'm David Deary with MS Leadership Foundation. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Produced by Podcast Architects.